welcome to episode 106 of Crack the Customer Code. This episode is brought to you by Audible. With more than 180,000 titles, you can listen to all of those books you've been meaning to read. Listeners of this podcast can receive a 30-day free trial to experience for themselves. Sign up at audible.com slash customer code. And I'm Jeannie Walters, and here I am with my co-host and the guru of great service, Adam Toporek. Adam, how are you? I am wonderful, embracing my guru guruificity. <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> you just made it a word. I did. Guruificity. <laughs> we, should, we should come up with like an online quiz. What is your guruificity? <laughs> On a scale from one to ten. <laughs> Question one. Can you pronounce guruificity? <laughs> Question two. Can you spell it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is a cool episode because I think we're a little bit uh, off our normal track, which I like. Yeah. I think the conversation... Went really well where we talked about some some bigger topics today around mission and and how to really be conscious of what we're delivering. We need like one of those news show intros. It's like Adam and Jeannie take on the tough topics. <laughs> In a world. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, because we talked to J.V. Crum and talked about, you know, the place of a social purpose and a, a greater mission in our business environment today. So it was really fascinating. And he had some excellent insights. Mm-hmm. I and, agree. And speaking of millionaires, because his concept is uh, his book, excuse me, is the conscious millionaire. I know you like to talk to millionaires. <laughs> well, who doesn't really? <laughs> <laughs> Most people. <laughs> but yes, I hope I'm speaking to them when I'm speaking to groups all over the globe on topics like empathy and patient experience and how to be your own customer experience investigator. And I really love talking to groups. I love working with corporations, with conferences, you name it. And if you'd like me to come speak with your organization or conference, you can find out more and see my TEDx talk at 360connects.com slash speaking. That's 360connext.com slash speaking. And we have new sponsorship packages which could help your message be heard. Check them out and join us at crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor. That is crackthecustomercode.com slash, what is that? Sponsor, (laughs) if you are interested. And I'm really excited to get to this interview because J.V. Crumb III is such an interesting guy. He came from somewhat humble beginnings and now he helps others on their path. And he really does focus on uh, kind of the bigger idea of what are you trying to do here? And we went we went down some paths that I think none of us were expecting in this conversation. And I think it's a it's enlightening. It is, and I think let's just get to it. So let me introduce JV. JV Crum the third JD MBA became a self-made entrepreneur millionaire in his twenties. He is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, certified business coach, licensed attorney, serial entrepreneur, Huffington Post columnist on conscious business, and is host of the number one ranked Conscious Millionaire podcast, which is broadcast. Monday through Friday, and of which I was honored to be a guest. He is also the founder and CEO of Conscious Millionaire Institute, LLC, a global entrepreneur business coaching, training, and wealth product business. So, And he, he claims to sleep, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he says he does sleep. So he won't be sleepwalking through this interview. Let's talk to JV. Hey, JV, how are you? 
Adam, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm great. You know, it, it is actually snowing today, and I am super happy when it snows. Very nice. Well, you know, Jeannie is up there in Chicago, so I'm not sure if she's <laughs> playing in the snow or not. I'm not. We're having a beautiful day here, so and I'm happy with that. I don't need the snow. <laughs> you can but, keep it. You know, Jeannie, it's, this is really interesting. I'm coming to Chicago in July for Podcast Movement, and, you know, we have this great train system that's revitalized itself. Two weeks ago, I bought an 18-hour train. I have my own compartment that goes from directly from Union Station in Denver, that's two blocks from me, to Union Station in Chicago. And I'm really excited. I haven't taken a long train ride like that and I don't know when. A few, ju- I, a few, few decades? I don't know. I, that'll be so great, too, because you're going through some pretty part of the country and you know, I, I'm anxious to hear how you like it because I've heard a lot of people are doing that now and they really, really enjoy it. It's a it's a good way to travel. Yeah. I'm, and then just planing back because it's two hours or two and a half hours direct. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I love Chicago, by the way. Um, Thank you. I do. My, too. Jo- my joke about Chicago is true. I would live in Chicago, but for six months out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only person who says that. <laughs> yeah, but I love Chicago. I mean, Chicago, best architecture in the country. It's amazing. I, I love it too. But I always say to people when they say, oh, I've been to Chicago once. I always say, what month? Because that makes a big difference. <laughs> well, my birth- Yeah, my birthday's in November and I went in October once and I love staying at the Drake Hotel because it's kind yes. of the grand dame. And they gave me an umbrella and I had to bring it back and I go, it was like a big umbrella, but the wind came and it was like all mailed. <laughs> but I think that's kind of like a, like a, you could go through three umbrellas in a day. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I just met somebody recently who was showing off their hundred dollar umbrella that wasn't supposed to, you know, go crazy in the wind. And we were having these crazy gusts of 60 miles per hour. Yeah. It's good luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, that's a hundred bucks that <laughs> you might not feel good great. about spending. Don't know. <laughs> Well, at least, yeah, at least when it snows in Denver, you can go skiing. That's true. And uh, I live on the ninth floor, so I have really beautiful views. And um, my balcony is just covered with snow, uh, about about five or six inches packed overnight. Wow. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to a, I was dealing with a banker in Colorado earlier today. She was telling me all about that. So hopefully it's going to be nice for you. She said it might be clearing up, but it sounds like you like the snow. So that might not be good. Yeah. For you. I, I'm, it's one of the reasons I came back here. I, I love the snow. It's beautiful. Cool. I'll probably take a ride in the mountains, you know, Sunday just to be in the snow. Well, nice. you know, you and I first met as far from the snow as you could get in Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> right. Florida. Fort, Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> and, and I just moved from Florida. I've lived in Florida most of my life. So, um, it, it was funny actually paying for a plane flight to go to Fort Lauderdale when I used to just get in my, you know, in my SUV or car and just drive to Fort Lauderdale. Yep. I drove mine down there and then I wrecked it. So, you know, there you go. You, you, you were better off flying. But, you know, you and I met at a Michael Port's heroic public speaking event, which was an absolutely phenomenal event. And we were both there. We, we were talking and you know, we're both there to learn how to better spread our message. And in right. sp- speaking to you, I was really impressed with your book, Conscious Millionaire, and your message of the triple win. So tell us about the whole concept of the triple win. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the core concepts in the book. And it's really about how are we approaching business differently from a conscious perspective? What is this new revolution of saying, I call it second stage capitalism. And to me, it's about all the stakeholders winning period. Everybody's going to win and out of the win, we get more synergies. And specifically the triple win is, I call it you, others, and society winning together. So you're producing products and services 
that have true intrinsic value that relate to other people's real problems, solves them, transforms them, and takes them to a higher level. And by them going to a higher level, they in turn are going to interact with the world differently and society is going to be better off as a whole. To me, that's the core of really building a great company today. And how can you really judge that, I guess, is my next question. Like, how do you know if you're focused on this idea of second stage capitalism and being conscious about growing your business, how do you know if it's going to help society long term or how can you judge if you're actually on the path in the right way? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think there's two ways to answer it. One, it's really blatant if you're building a business that it in and of itself is socially conscious, let's say you're trying to solve the problem of how there's clean water for everyone. So that's fairly obvious if you're doing that kind of business. But the majority of people are really coming from a place of, of saying, I want to help create this kind of change for my customer. So the, a lot of it really is about intent. Do you start off with the intention that everybody's going to win? Because that changes, I'm, you know, I'm a licensed attorney, and when I negotiate contracts with people with whom I'm going to do business, I negotiate those contracts as if I were both sides. So in other words, I'm negotiating with myself because I want everybody to win, you know, as big as they possibly can. And I think the difference is, is that if you, you can feel it and you can also see it is are you just in business to see how you get money out of customers and put it in your bank account? That changes the wording of your marketing. It changes how you approach your, your customers. Or are you in business because you really want to transform and lift up your customers? You really want to solve a problem that matters. So this, I talked about there's an intrinsic value to your products. And those intrinsic uh, uh, value relates to the top, say, one, two, three va uh, problems that your customer has. You go out, you survey, you find out what those are. That, to me, is a whole different process, and it should be obvious to everyone when you look at a product. Does this really have intrinsic value, or is it just another gadget, just something that someone's trying to get you to buy that's going to go to uh, you know, a dump in the next six to 12 months? Mm -hmm. So if you're actually doing something that uplifts, that provides new value to your customer, that transforms them, that has a positive impact, any of those words you want to choose, I think it's obvious because of the kind of product you created, the kind of service you, you created, and the state that you really take somebody to. Are they in a more positive state because they use your product or service? And that's easy to measure. You can look and see if that's true. And then it's from the synergies of all of that happening that everybody gets to win bigger. Because it's all about how do we all win? And that's a different way to look at business than how do I get what I want? And I don't really care about the rest of the people. I want to pay my suppliers as little as I can. I want to, you know, just, you know, negotiate them down to the last penny. And if that's the kind of business you're building, in today's world, increasingly, people don't want to do business that way. Well, I love that for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that uh, is the mission of my company that Adam has heard me say way too often, but uh, we really believe our mission is to create fewer ruined days for customers. And I always say that sounds super simple, but the way I think about it is that if we can, we can help somebody have a day that's not ruined by a bad customer experience in their lives, that means they're not going to take that negativity into the world. They're not going to you know, yell exactly. at the bank teller because they had a bad phone call with customer service or, uh, you know, be frustrated with their kids because 
something happened, uh, you know, where they had to really solve a problem that they shouldn't have had. So I, I love thinking about that. And I'm just curious, cause you mentioned products with something like that, which our company is service and consulting. Right. So, you know, is the customer experience itself, can that be the higher purpose of organizations? Yeah, I think that I think that it's inextricably intertwined with everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. That let's take um, the Apple iPhone. I'm just going to use that as an example. It's to me the whole concept behind the iPhone, and I happen to have an iPhone, so I want to disclaim. I also happen to own Apple stocks, so I want to disclaim. Uh, but there's a reason why I have all Apple products. A, they work. B. I get the experience that I need as a customer and my phone does all these incredible things and I don't have to program it. I mean, I'm not knocking Androids, but I tried the Android and it's like, I don't really want 20 different calendars to choose from. I just want a calendar that works and integrates with everything else I have. (laughs) So they designed everything for the customer experience so that it was going to make an incredible experience that was super easy and you don't have to be a geek or program your phone. You just have to put your, your stuff in the calendar and magic. It's on your iPad and it's on your Mac computer and you have it everywhere. So that to me is an example of the product itself answering all kinds of problems because I, I think of this, this is the cheapest thing I have. It's my office on the go. It's with me every place I go. And I have all my contacts. I have all my calendar things. I know what's going on and it's in my pocket. So that's an interesting thing because one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking was about the net effect of adding value. So if you don't have a nonprofit motive and a sort of specific cause motive, but it's something like what Jeannie and I do. We're just trying to make people's lives better through improving customer service and improving customer experiences. Now, one of the things with Jeannie and I, it's very simple. There's not a lot of negative offset to what we do. Whereas, you know, you talked about... And I would think there's a lot of positive offsets. Well, it's all positive. It's pretty much all positive. I don't think, you know, we're not hurting anybody. And and as a contrary example, you take the iPhone, and I'm an Apple guy, just bought the new iPad, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's some argument that those come with some negatives, different labor practices, different uh, chemicals and things that go into it. And, you know, somebody's always creating value somewhere, but there's sometimes there's a negative. You know, the people who are dumping chemicals in the river did that because they were creating value and selling something somewhere to somebody. They were creating value for somebody, but there was a negative for society. There was a negative for other people in that. So how do you feel about that sort of net situation? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, we can think about the Prius. I had the Prius for a couple of years. And I actually went through about a year of investigating it and had to come to terms that that battery causes all kinds of uh, environmental problems to create and really a lot of environmental problems to get rid of. And ask myself, well, what is the net effect of this? So I'm going to answer this in a couple of ways. We're in a, an environment worldwide that is going through massive transition And part of that transition is moving into a more conscious path. However, in the process, there are lots of discontinuities. So if we go out 20, 30 years from now, there probably won't be a hybrid vehicle, but the hybrid vehicle was a step to someplace else. So sometimes you have to go, okay, what's the higher good that I'm moving towards? And what's the intention is, is clearly to me with the Prius, you know, I certainly buy in that the intention with the hybrid vehicles is to get us to a, a better place. But Along the way, there are going to be some discontinuities. So sometimes there are negative effects as we move to a better place. But there's a difference between the Prius and I, you know, 
I've never had a conversation with Toyota executives, but my, my sense is that there's not a negative intention. Whereas if you go back and you use the example of dumping all the chemicals in the river, um, I think there, there was just a, a, because that happened a lot in manufacturing there, there's just been a blatant with some companies, uh, lack of concern about what they were doing to the world and society as a whole and because they were getting to sell their product. So I think, again, part of this comes down to intention. Is it really about moving forward or do you just not care that the environment's destroyed in order to sell your product? And right. then that's, to me, a very different place. Because to, to what the point of what you're saying, I mean, basically in those cases, profit was the only motive, not one yeah, of I the think, motives. Yeah, and with the manufacturing that was doing that, I think a lot of those companies – Profit was the only motive. I think with the Prius, which was, you know, again, it was kind of like the iPhone. It was, you know, on the forefront of creating this, you know, new technology. I think the intention was positive. And then you have to look and say, and there's still some discontinuities, but what direction are we moving in? That's a great point. I love that. I think the challenge with a lot of this is these topics and these issues, they have nuance, right? And it's easier to just apply kind of absolute thinking, unfortunately, in today's world of sound bites and everything else. And so when you're when you're challenging organizations, when you're challenging leaders to really have this idea of being conscious about what they're putting out into the world, um, how do you really how do you really get to that nuance with them if they're saying, but we need to make profit? <laughs> yeah. Bottom well, line, you know, I, I to me, and what we do at Conscious Millionaire and what I teach every entrepreneur that I work with is that it's bringing the two together, the positive impact that you want to create and the profit and that you're mission based in that you want to create a higher outcome for your client and that that's always a driving force for you. And if that, if you get off track on that one, then you're going down the slippery slope and you're going backwards, I think, to what I call first stage capitalism. And, and to me, first stage capitalism was it's, it's profit only and we don't really care how we get there. You know, you think about all the problems that BP had. You think about the contrast between the problems that Volkswagen is now facing because they intentionally uh, did things to manipulate their um, their readings on their environmental outputs in order to sell their vehicles in certain markets. It was intentional. This is a very different thing than the Prius that's going, okay, we're working to do the best we can with this battery that lasts about 100,000 miles, but they're not defrauding the public. They're not doing things to the environment to just up their profits. They're trying to do the best they can. That's a very different intention than we're going to defraud the governments and the public about how environmentally sound our, our car is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And you know, what's interesting, I've always had this theory, I'd love, love for you to weigh in on it. Yeah, you know, there's so much with, uh, you know, mission-based, purpose-based organizations and all of that nowadays. And one of the things I've always believed, and it's not a positive thing, I must admit, is that I feel like whenever the profit motive comes into conflict with the values or the vision, that the profit motive tends to always win. Well, I think... I will say always is an absolute, but ten, tends to win most of the time. Let's say that. Okay. I think the, the thing is, we go back to triple win that you started you know, this interview with, if you always are asking the question, how does everything that I do, all my decisions, all the behaviors that I do at my business benefit me 
benefit others, which is, let's say, your customers, and benefit society because you're providing products and services that actually have intrinsic value. If you're always staying true to what is the real out, outcome that you want to create, that mission, that higher you know, uh, purpose that you have for your business that goes beyond making money, that the business was not set up first and foremost to go out and find just a way to make money. It was set up because you actually want to add something that's positive to people's lives or organizations. And so then if you stay true to what's that purpose and what are your core values around that, and those always guide your behaviors, making money isn't going to be an issue. It's just a matter of where is your priority? Is it make money at all costs? That's stage one. Or is it make money because you're doing something that's positive for your clients? And that's a different way of looking at your business because that's always going to guide you. You're never going to create, if you keep that at the forefront, you put it on the wall, you look at it all the time, you're only going to create products and services and you're only going to sell them in high, honest and, and integrity ways because what you really want to do is you realize you want to cultivate a long-term relationship with that customer. And the only way to do that in a way that everybody's going to win is you're always focused on the customer and how they get what they need the most, which brings it all full circle to the customer experience and customer service. It's very true. Yay, team. I love that one. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm nodding along and smiling. Yeah, me too. And, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, it's funny because you mentioned customer experience and we'll, we'll leave the mission stuff. I, one of the things, everything you just said, it's just easier to do for us than it is for GE. You know, it's, it's, when you have boards of directors and public companies, it, it stuff gets really tricky. But I tell you what, it's, it's a good time to be in small business because I think we're able to focus on our values better, e more easily. I, 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 I completely agree with you. I mean, and, and I'm going to define small business as a privately held company um, anywhere from startup to 10 million because that covers most of the companies in this country. And we can not only have clear values that guide us, we get rewarded because people in our culture, really have come to some clear conclusions that I think are accurate that the small business owner who really has their back as a customer is a better place to do business a lot of times because the truth is the larger a company gets, the big challenge they have is how do you build that culture where you're constantly hiring all these people and how does what the intention, even if it's the intention of the company, how does it get spread with every touch point and every decision that's made? It gets harder and harder. And then you have the real problem that you've got the external stockholders. And as you well know, in our current society, the way the laws are set up, the actual uh, outcome from that company is to maximize profits to the shareholder. And if they don't, and you know, there's been lots of lawsuits where companies say, well, this is our higher purpose. It may not make quite as much profit, but we're going for the higher purpose. And the stockholder has standing to sue against that. So the moment you have those external people, it complicates the picture. And I'm, I'm not, a, I own stock in Apple, so I'm not against stockholders. What I'm saying is that it becomes a different entity than when you're the smaller organic, you know, company that's simply owned by one or two people. Uh, that company can can keep focused on the values and say we're gonna we're gonna make a profit because people want to do business with us that we're actually going to attract clients because of how we treat them and we don't have to have any compromises well and i think 
I always like to say that a lot of entrepreneurs are successful because of who they are, not what they person. do. Right. And then they, it's really translating that throughout the organization where you start losing the magic of what that is because they don't put processes down about who they are. <laughs> and essentially that's what some of them actually, they're already, they're already pushing for a higher mission just by who they are. So, um, that's a really interesting point. And, you know, just as we wrap up here, I'd love to share with our listeners a little bit about the story of how you've used customer experience and customer service to grow your businesses. So if you can, if you can do that, uh, with the time allowed, uh, I, I'm sure it's a lesson we could all take away from. Well, let's go back to what I really did was take over running a family business when I was 23 that was essentially bankrupt and just bleeding cash left and right. I didn't know anything about business. Um, but what I did know was that what was working wasn't working and I had done really well in school. And so I didn't know that I knew about systems, but that was really what I was going to do. And so it was just a mess. The whole thing was a mess. It was a regional trucking line. It's it just a total wreck. And one of the things I did that first year was I went to a seminar by Ron Zimke and the book was Service America, which you can still buy on Amazon. It was $75 and I'd never paid for a business workshop. So it's really humorous. I had to think about it for two or three weeks. Like, is it worth paying $75 for a workshop? <laughs> and the interesting thing was it was at the local university and they were, all these sites were tied together by phone lines. And at that time it was the largest um, teleconference in history. And there were 25,000 people. And for that $75, we got four hours, we got lunch and we got the book. And I still had to think about it because I had no background experience. Like, was this good? <laughs> and he gave us a formula for how to build our service strategy. And I came back each week, we had a meeting and I said, now, I don't want you to think about our trucking line because I don't think we're providing the service we should provide. I want you to think about the ideal trucking line from the perspective of the customer. And in six weeks, we boiled it down to this strategy that turned the business around and made us millions of dollars. And that strategy was dependable and timely service. And then we operationally defined what did dependable mean and what did timely mean because we we're in the kind of business where you could have a breakdown in, in the equipment, you could have a driver show up late, you could have accidents, you could have inclement weather that slowed your progress down. And so we had definitions like dependable meant that the client could depend on us that if the truck wasn't going to show up as agreed at this specific time, they'd hear it from us before they ever experienced it. And we would have a solution that we were going to provide to them to get them that truck as soon as possible. So mm -hmm. they weren't the ones calling us. We were the ones calling them. And as I put it to our dispatchers, they may not be happy, but I can assure you they will be a whole lot less unhappy than if they have to pick up the phone and call us and ask us where the truck is. That's right. Right? That's right. So Absolutely. we had definitions in place and we created systems. Our maintenance systems were then designed so that the equipment would not have failures. So every piece of equipment was, was seen every 30 days. There was a checklist that was gone through so that we to, could do everything we could to avoid everything that we could stop happening. And everything we did was focused on how to be dependable and timely. And that brought the company's you know, to being number one in our niche, staying number one in our niche for 18 years, being the number one trucking line in our niche. And we were able to charge the highest rates of all the trucking lines in our niche and keep our clients because the service was more important to them. Mm, that's a fabulous example. 
That is really great because I think a lot of folks think that they know what it means to define customer experience, but essentially taking it to that level is what you have to do. And that's exactly what you did. Instead of saying, we'll, we'll do the best we can. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Everything right. was defined specifically so that we knew what our behavior was going to be in any situation that could occur. Awesome. That's beautiful. That is a, uh, a, a marquee for everybody to look at. It's very, mm -hmm. very nice. Well, and I would, I would highly recommend Ron Zimke's book, Service America. I still have it. And it's, um, it was a treasure trove. I mean, it really taught me how to operationally define a strategy and put it into practice in a way that would create specific results. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure to include that in the show notes. So JV, uh, tell us a little bit about where we can find you on the internet. Well, we know where to find you, where our audience can find you on the internet. And also I believe you have a free gift for our listeners. I do. Um, we have, uh, right now we have a couple of, of shows and we're launching three more this year and going to radio and going to TV. So we're really excited about the progress that we're making. Wow. Uh, at consciousmillionaire.com, you can find the podcast. It just has a uh, and you can go down and you can listen to uh, our coaching podcasts for entrepreneurs who are, want a conscious approach, our health podcasts for busy and uh, entrepreneurs who want to be healthy and fit. And we're also going to be launching in May a new podcast, a joint venture with Michelle Patterson, who has the Women Network, the largest women conferences in the world. And we're doing uh, already, you know, recording for Conscious Business Leader. And we're going to be interviewing uh, conscious leaders in the business uh, area and what they're doing and how they create higher profits by creating positive impacts. And then I have a Conscious Motor Marketing uh, one that's coming out. And then I'll give a shout out real quick to my nonprofit, ConsciousWorld.org. We work with youth all over the world, 18 to 25, who are doing projects to create positive impact on the world. And in June, we're launching, we already have the first two months uh, in the can, Conscious World Youth Leader podcast, where I'll be interviewing youth leaders all over the world on a weekly basis about the projects and the projects that they're doing. Uh, but what I'd love to do is... I really want to give everybody listening a copy of my book. It was the number one book on Amazon. We had in one, one point in time, we were number one in 34 categories uh, in multiple countries and had over 50,000 downloads in a, like a matter of days. So I want to give you that book. You don't need to spend $27.95. You heard this. If you'll go to consciousmillionaire.com forward slash my book, that's consciousmillionaire.com forward slash my book. I'm going to give you the book. All we're going to ask is just, you know, tell us a little bit about you and your, in your business. So we understand you more. And then I have a $97 training that goes along with it called the fast track program. I'm going to give you that absolutely free. So you'll have a link in the book and we'll also send it to you in the email so that you can watch 16 videos based on the book and how you can apply the exact things I did to become, uh, make my first million by 25 actually. And how you can apply that to your business, uh, whether you're starting a business or you have a business you really want to grow past 100,000 or past a million, it's going to tell you exactly what to do chapter by chapter and give you over 100 coaching um, exercises to help you build your business. Well, that is great, JV. And that is, I've got a copy of your book and that is a lot of value. So we really appreciate you offering that up to our listeners. And we thank you so much for being here today. This was an excellent discussion. Well, Jeannie Thanks, and Adam, it's uh, really my my honor. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Enjoy the snow. <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs>
Okay, we hope you enjoyed episode 106 of Crack the Customer Code. You can see the show notes for this and all of our episodes. You can subscribe. You can send us feedback. And I haven't said it in a while, but we all know that Jeannie loves feedback. I do. It's true. You can do all (laughs) of these things at crackthecustomercode.com. And thank you to audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to sign up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash customercode. I'm Jeannie Walters. Sign up for customer experience webinars at cxwebinar.com. And I'm Adam Tapork. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.